So this is going to be hard because I usually speak for like an hour, at least. I got like 15 minutes. <laughs> but um, God brought us to this church, and it was a complete miracle because God knew me took pastoring very seriously. And when I was accused and been convicted, that um, public excellence just totally took care of my family. Um, we moved in with Rod and Marine for months because I couldn't handle going home because my baby was gone. And we were fighting for my other kids because CPS was involved in trying to take my other children. And, um, they fostered my youngest so that I could still nurse her. And they, I mean, it just completely 100% took over. But then when I left, and even before I left, they were not, it wasn't just Rod and Marie, there were other people in this church, there were other pastor's wives in this church now, weren't there, but now are, you know, that are like, you know, like Anita, that just like completely took that, that ministry seriously and took our family and took care of us. And um, there was a, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that God gently leads those with young. And I remember looking at that scripture at this time and thinking, God, I don't know why you allowed this to be written in the Bible because you're lying. <laughs> you know, it, but God's not a man that he can lie, right? Amen. And he did he was not lying. He was completely gently leading us. He was surrounding us with a church family that loved us and could care for us. And he was letting my children be raised by a village that loved them and letting me get very close to all those ladies so that I could know that they were going to take care of my kids while I was gone. And then, um, long story short, I was convicted, and it took seven years to prove my innocence. But while I was there, um, God did amazing miracles. Um, it wasn't immediate that I came home, and it wasn't immediate that I was even ready to say that he was doing miracles. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, uh, I had a few people make me promise to tell the hummingbird story. So our um, our logo is a hummingbird in God's hands. And the reason that we have that logo is because um, when I was in the county jail after I had been convicted, I was really mad at God. And I was, um, we had been in youth, I was raised a missionary kid. I had been working in youth ministry for like 15 years. We were, you know, I, I, I wasn't just a baby Christian, but... I still was really having a hard time trusting God with this. How could he let me be convicted of this? How could he take me away from my five kids and my husband and think that that was okay? And so I was fighting with God, and I'm telling him this is insane, and I was throwing things around my cell. I was all upset, you know? And after I got through throwing my fit, I wore myself out, and the last thing I remember saying to God is, I can't even see the flowers and the birds. And God woke up one of my friends who does go to Calvary Crestland. She's not here this weekend, but um, Kat wears for those of you who know her. But she, God woke her up in the middle of the night with this intense desire to buy me flowers. And she woke her husband up and she said, God's telling me to buy Hannah flowers. Like, She's in the county jail. You can't buy her flowers. Go back to sleep. And she's like, no, 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 I really feel like God's saying I gotta do this. He's like, I think you ate something funny. You know, like, so they, they got into a bit of an argument about it. Finally, she gets up and she's, I'm gonna do this whether you like it or not. He was not happy about the situation. Because County Jail's not in the best part of town. She's gonna go there in the middle of the night with flowers. 
No idea how she's going to give them to me. So she went to HEB, she went and bought flowers, she went to the county jail, and only God knew that I had been moved. I used to have a, a cell that faced the parking lot, but the jail got really mad because the church was doing worship in the parking lot once a week, and they were trying to stop that. <laughs> and so they moved me to where I couldn't see the parking lot, because they they were thought, well, if she can't see them, maybe they'll stop doing that. So they had moved me in the middle of the night. But nobody knew that, and the only thing I could see whenever I looked out my window was a no parking sign. Well, that's where God had her put those flowers, the no parking sign. So when I opened, you know, when I woke up and I looked out the window, all I could see was the flowers that God gave me in the middle of my fit. <laughs> you know, instead of being mad, He gave me flowers because His grace is so overwhelming. But now today, I tell that story and I want to cry. But then, I was still not in the best mood. <laughs> and I was like, that's not fun again. I'm still in this freaking jail cell. <laughs> and I'm still not home with my kids. And I still can't even see the birds. Because that was the last thing I had said, right? And I was mad. And, um, you know, I was probably throwing the biggest fit I'd ever thrown in my life. But I was very upset with God at that moment. And again, his grace just covers that. And he, not very long after that, I was transferred to the maximum security prison where I would be for the next seven years of my life. And when I um, went to that prison, when I got there, and I, they told me the dorm I was going to be in, right in front of the dorm, there's this rock with a hummingbird painted on it. And I saw that hummingbird, and I looked at that bird, and I said to God, I was like, that is not funny. That's not even a real bird, and I'm in real prison now. <laughs> but you know what he said to me? He said, but you're like the hummingbird. And I have never heard, like, such an audible voice as I did that day from God. Like, it was like he was there speaking to me, but you're like the hummingbird. And... I didn't know what that meant, and it took, you know, probably six months for me to care what that meant, <laughs> you know, but I heard him say it, and then after, over time, I began to think, okay, what does he mean by that? What is he doing? What is, you know, God has some plan for this. What's a hummingbird like? What does that mean? And so I started, like, getting books about hummingbirds. What does that mean? Well, hummingbirds are really fragile creatures, and if they are, like, if you, if you had a hummingbird and you closed your hand on the hummingbird, you would crush all the bones in the hummingbird. I mean, it would just easily be crushed. But, but if we didn't have hummingbirds, we wouldn't have enough oxygen to live. They don't get the, the glory like the bees do. Everybody hears about the bees, but the hummingbirds, because they're long beaks, they do a lot for, to get to be able to give us oxygen. And um, what God told me is that I felt fragile and like I was easily broken, but that in his hands I had a big purpose and that I needed to trust him with that purpose. And once I began to really surrender to that, I began to see him do great and mighty things. And I started doing a Bible study with one of my friends in the prison because I realized that I had, I was facing life without parole, but I still had a hope that these other women didn't. Women that were going home in five years didn't, you know, I still had a hope that they didn't have. And so I began to, uh, you know, I called the church and asked them to bring me, or actually I couldn't call yet, and I was writing, because there weren't, there weren't phone, phone calls allowed at that point. But I would write and say, can you send me Bible studies? And they were sending in Bible studies, and I was doing them with the ladies, and it started out with two ladies that I did Bible study with. And then two ladies became four ladies, and four 
six ladies. And in the prison, if you do a Bible study with more than four ladies, or the prison where I was at, it's considered inciting a riot, and you can get a case <laughs> during a Bible study. You get a disciplinary case, you're stuck in your bed for, for 30 to 180 days, depending on the officer and how they feel at that moment. So I couldn't do Bible studies with more than four at a time. So I, then I started doing all these different groups of Bible studies, and they just kept growing and growing. By the time I left, there were 100 ladies that were doing the Bible studies. And um, now, there's close to 1,000 ladies doing the Bible studies. <laughs> And so these these ladies started, you know, just I started watching God change their life. And, you know, when I first got there, I was I was pretty sheltered. I had been raised missionary kid. Stupid was a bad word in my house. You know, I went, you know, I had never seen an adult hit another adult, and then I'm stuck in a maximum security prison, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember, you know, looking at everybody around me and thinking that. Um, you know, all I could see was their crimes that they committed and their, their behavior. And, and, and God told me, but that's not what I see. You know, these, these women didn't wake up one day and decide to be here. You know, they, they are broken and they need your love and they need to know how much I love them. And that's your job, is to show them how much I love them. And so I asked him to help me to do that. And he didn't let me come home until it was hard to leave. I cried when I was leaving. I didn't want to leave these ladies that can't become like family to me. And um, didn't mean I didn't want to come home to my family and my kids, don't get me wrong. <laughs> or, that it, or that prison is a nice place to be. It is not. <laughs> but I didn't want to leave them there. You know, but God allowed me to stay until he had changed my heart. Because his heart for these women was that they would know his love. And that they would know that they are worth it. And that they are worth going that extra mile for. And so when we came home, I wanted to continue um, doing the Bible studies with them. And one of the ladies, the lady that bought me, got me the flowers, had started writing them. Uh, the ladies that I was doing Bible study with. And when, I, when they got letters, they were crying. Because they had, that was the first mail they'd gotten in some of them years. Their, their mothers didn't send them Christmas cards. So to get a Christmas card from a stranger made them cry. And um, when I saw that, I was like, told her how important it was. And so she started writing them every holiday. So we started continue. we wanted to continue that and started a pen pal ministry. And um, so over time, that's how Sunday Ministries came about. And then when I came home, you know, I had all the support in the world. I mean, there's a lot of people in here that were praying for me. There's a lot of people in here that were, you know, trying to help, that were taking care of my kids, homeschooling my kids every day for seven years. I mean, that's crazy. But I, so I had like all kinds of support. It's still really hard for me. I've been home seven years and I still have nightmares at night. I still have PTSD. I still have all kinds of things that, that, that came home with me from this experience. And, um, I was kind of upset with God about that too, because I thought, you know, Shadrach, Kedishchuk, and Abednego went into the fire, and God went with them, and they came out, and they didn't even smell like smoke. And so my picture was that I wasn't going to smell like smoke, that I was going to come out, and I wasn't even going to smell like smoke. But you know what? When I came out and I had PTSD, I started asking God, you know, why why would you allow this? And He said to me, because you need to understand. And, and then he told me, 
Which, this is kind of interesting. I was talking to my therapist who's not supposed to, you know, talk, not, not supposed to like, yeah, uh, pray with me or, you know, talk to me about things God's telling her. And she says, hey, God gave me a word for you today. Is it okay if I, if I tell you what God said? I said, of course. <laughs> and she says, she says, I don't know what this is all about, but I feel like God told me to tell you that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not have uh, and it never says in the Bible that they liked roasting marshmallows <laughs> or that they didn't have nightmares <laughs> or that they, you know, didn't have PTSD. It never says that. When it says that they didn't smell like smoke, the next thing it says is that what they smelled like. There was the aroma of Christ that made the nation turn to God. So whether you have PTSD or not has nothing to do with whether or not you're putting off the aroma of Christ. And that's what I need you to do. That's what I. That's why I'm allowing this because you need to continue to to help these ladies and um, the process home when they come home as well. And so we started a transitional home, and we have a discipleship school. These ladies that are brought up here, and they're ladies that have been in prison and are you know working through the process of it's not easy to come home. Um, everything changes. You know, gas stations talk to you, and you carry computers in your in your back pockets and you know, things that didn't happen when I went into prison. <laughs> you know, um, everything has changed, and it, it's really not, it's not real, not easy. But what's most important is that, they, is that these ladies know that God loves them, like that they have a family that loves them, and that we are all part of that family. And I would never ever be here if it weren't for all the people that prayed for me and all the people that took that seriously when they were called to be my family. Um, and so I want to encourage you guys, whether you pray for me or not, to continue praying for Suneo Ministries and for these ladies that are now a part of your family. Um, there are now, like I said, over a thousand ladies that are involved in the Bible studies. We also do um, outreaches twice a year, one in the summer and one at Christmas time that uh, that go to, right now, a little over 10,000 ladies. We send them hygiene packages. And um, in the summer, we send them like cool, cooling towels and water bottles. In Texas, normally, it's really hot. I know it's cold here today. <laughs> normally, it's really hot in Texas, and they don't have any air conditioning. It gets to like 120 degrees in these metal buildings. And it's a, people die from the heat in the prisons on a regular basis. And so, you know, we give them things to help cool them off. Can't afford to give them air conditioning yet, but we give them things to help them cool off. And then the state of Texas doesn't provide shampoo or deodorant if you don't have money to do that. And most people in prison don't have family members that send them money to do that because either they burnt bridges or they came from a family that wouldn't do it anyway. Um, so, a couple of things that I want to encourage you guys with that you can get involved with. We've got a table back there, and um, if you are, have a church that's here that wants to help with the um, with the outreaches that we do twice a year, we have uh, little boxes, kits that you can get where you can do fundraising for those things, and you can actually come with us into the prisons and pass them out and watch these ladies cry over a bottle of shampoo when, at Christmas time when you know your kids are mad because they didn't get the newest PlayStation or whatever. <laughs> you know, and you can um, be a part of that. You can also be a pen pal to these people. And you know, I there are so many times when I got a card from a stranger that just said 
a scripture on it, and I handed it to somebody because they looked down, and then I found out that they were contemplating suicide, and that letter that wasn't even written to them changed that. So those things are like life changing. Just a just a letter is life changing, especially right now with the pandemic. There, the suicide rate is insane. So if you want to sign up to be a pen pal, or if your church wants to sign up to help with the outreaches, we also have um, things for sale back there. That and all the money goes to um, either our discipleship school, our hygiene uh, outreaches, or we also have a base now in Mexico because we had a lady that got deported. And that opened the doors for us to have a base in Mexico, Casa Sandeo. So we have some things there also. So God is doing big things, and he continues to do so much more than we could ask or imagine. I remember halfway through this, getting to a place where I told God, okay, if this changes somebody's life, it's worth it. Well, it wasn't just one person, or two people, or three people. There have been thousands of people who have been affected by this. Not just inside the prisons, but people that, you know, I've gone to speak all these different places and I've met kids that told me, I've been praying for you since I was born. <laughs> and and God, you know, God brought you home. You know, I like an eight-year-old little boy that, you know, he's crying because he saw God answer prayers for him. And, you know, I didn't even know. Like, God is so much bigger and so much better than we could ever imagine. So um, I want to thank you guys for letting me share a little bit. Please come back and check out the table and um, just more importantly, just keep us in prayer because we're in it that prisons are enemies right now. You know, it's like a pretty dark place. And the devil doesn't like that we're continuing to do ministry there. And so we need prayer because every time every time we go, we get attacked. If it's whether it's physical or our car breaks down on the way or whatever, you know. So we need you guys' prayer, and we just, you know, we just want to thank you for everything. And I guess that's it. All right, thanks. Thanks.